Welcome to the future of XYZ. I'm your host, Lisa Grelnick, principal and founder of LVG & Co., an independent strategy consultancy based in New York City. Through quick and candid conversations with innovative leaders, we aim to foster new thinking and explore big questions about where we are as a world and where we're going. Hello, and welcome to this week's episode of Future of XYZ. We have a special topic for just a few days before Valentine's Day. It is the future of love. And our guest is Ethan Lipsitz. Ethan, thanks so much for joining us on Future of XYZ. I'm so happy to be here. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. Um, well, you are a multi-hyphenate to the nth degree, uh, an artist, uh, and I think some of the work is behind you, a podcaster, uh, a leadership facilitator, a producer, a uh, cultural change agent, we'll, we'll say. Um, and you also, in 2015, founded something called the Love Extremist Project, which is a multimedia platform, which we'll have a chance to talk about. Um, thanks again for joining. I, I want to start I mean, we'll get into lots of things, but like there are so many definitions of love, even the noun, forget the verb. What is love in your, your definition, Ethan? Yeah, so this is my favorite question. I ask it on my podcast as the first question right out the gate. So what is love? <laughs> Baby, don't hurt me. Uh, always comes up whenever I ask the question. But so I, I studied love under the tutelage, I would say, of Bell Hooks, who also was informed by M. Scott Peck and Eric Fromm, legendary um, kind of psychologists and um, theorists on this topic. And ultimately, their definition is love is the belief in the growth of oneself or another, the spiritual growth, in fact. I expanded a little bit. I think that it's not just spiritual. Um, it's also practical. It's emotional. It's all sorts of growth. And I believe it's oneself, it's another, and it's also the collective. Mm -hmm. So there's that third realm, which goes far beyond just our interrelational lives and into our institutions, our planet, all beings. Um, I really believe our universe. And in the context of universe, I also subscribe to the energetic form of love. So love being something that is an energy that we can exchange. I can smile and you can feel a radiation. Yeah. And if it's coming from my heart and my emotions, and maybe it's even teary or it's, you know, associated with language, there's all sorts of ways to share love in our being and our beingness. And so I see it also as an energetic and very much one that we are responsible for holding and sharing. And that you know, leads us into all sorts of actionable methodology. It most certainly does. I mean, it's interesting and it's such an expansive view of love, um, one that I really uh, appreciate because when I look up love just in a dictionary to kind of think it's like the nine different definitions, I mean, including my favorite game of tennis, which is, of course, like zero is love, which is very strange. Um, <laughs> but you have I mean, you have this affection for something, you have romantic love. And I think one of the things that you've just alluded to is it goes beyond a thing, a person, romance for sure, uh, even attachment, right? I mean, in some ways. So just quickly, I mean, what 
I think everything I heard and what you said is about vulnerability. <clears throat> and I don't know if you'd agree with that, but let's talk about what love takes. I mean, what, what, what is required for there to be love? Yeah, well, so that's a great question. And I think it's important to think about this through three different lenses. So I look at love through ourself, the self-love practice, through our relationships, interrelational love, and then through the collective. Those are the three lenses with which we can think about love. So what love takes for ourselves is very different than what it takes for our communities, our institutions. Um, so if you're asking, I, I think the baseline really starts with us as individuals. We all have personal sovereignty to a point and we're able to cultivate a practice of self-love which radiates outward, upward, however you wanna frame it. So I think for ourselves, there's a lot of factors. Um, a lot of it is about listening and observing. And, and sometimes those observations come from a very young age and we're informed about love because of the relationships we have with our families. The relation is the mirror to the self. And so every relationship we have is a mirror and we're always experiencing love or lack thereof and making you know, known or unknown judgments as to whether we're feeling the love or not in our relationships. And that starts from a very young age. And so I think this myth that you need to love yourself before you can love another is a myth in the fact that we don't know what love is until we experience it. And I do believe that spiritual nature of existing in a body, the delicacy of these bodies, and the emotionality and the sensitivity to the world around us that we are born with is a core ingredient to receiving and exchanging love. And so it does go back to what you said about vulnerability. Our sensitivity rises when we are in a more loving state. And that sensitivity could be to the others around us. It could be to ourselves. It could be to the planet. Maybe it's just the sunshine, yeah. right? And so I, th I think, in order to, what, what love takes, I think love takes sensitivity. It does take vulnerability. It takes a sense of awareness and a recognition that we can start to tap into what we're feeling in our bodies and how we're relating to the world around us, our environments and the people. I love that. And you, and you allude to something. I mean, again, we're doing this on <clears throat> right before Valentine's Day, right? And, and Valentine's Day, we can just <clears throat> say, I'm going to get to it. But you know, it is this like very commercialized, very hallmark, for lack of a better word, um, you know, capitalistic, romantic holiday. It's all about romantic love. Um, and yet it started, you know, centuries ago as two saints who were both named Valentine. Um, and it's a religious tradition. Um, and you talk about spirituality in the context of love. And I find the connection quite interesting how this has evolved. Just to sidestep for one second, what is your take on Valentine's Day? Yeah, so the beginnings of, I've always been kind of a hater, <laughs> um, just to be straight up. I was, I, I was the kid who didn't necessarily get the Valentine he wanted and was a little you know, butthurt by that. And it's interesting because I married someone who loves Valentine's Day, and I didn't even realize that until she regaled me with gifts on Valentine's Day. And then I actually proposed to her on Valentine's Day, which is another incredible thing. Last year? Um, uh, two years ago now. Okay. Um, yeah, yeah, because pandemic and things. But yeah, so 
I do think Valentine's Day is changing for me um, and it's become very special, but originally I was not into it. And the whole Love Extremist project was really in response to love being relegated to romance, to Valentine's Day, to the chocolates and the teddy bears and the rainbows and the sense that love is all joy and beauty. And ultimately like love has the shadow just like everything else. And that's equally important, if not more so, to understanding it. And that means self-love or love in politics or love in business or love in healthcare, love in our environment. Those are things that are usually met with eye rolls in many parts of our culture. And ultimately- I mean, Marianne Williamson is the best example, right? She talked love, 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 as did Cory Booker in the last election, love, 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 and you know. Right, it's very difficult for people to take them seriously. And ultimately that's because they are, I believe, avoiding and maybe even afraid of the reality that every single life we live is rooted in love. The best story is always the love story and we can choose that. And it's scary and people are afraid and it's vulnerable and it's not, it's, it, it does have a shadow side. It does come with heartbreak. It does come with disappointment, with loss, with grief. All those things are, re are relevant. So Absolutely. yeah, it, it's a lot to take in and to be a love extremist is a lot and is crucial to our survival as a species. How do you describe, like what's the definition of a love extremist? So it's an open source project. So I, I, it started when I was introduced to the work of Christian Picciolini, a reformed neo-Nazi who was speaking at a conference with another uh, leader from the Department of Homeland Security under Obama. And they were talking all about how they were trying to keep people out of extremist hate groups, out of violent extremism, using technology and different resources. And I raised my hand, I said, what are the resources being allocated to extremist love, to providing alternatives that are a little bit more of the opposite side? It's and they, hate extremism. Right. And I realized that was kind of a silly question. And I, I knew that they wouldn't really have an answer, but I couldn't stop asking that question. What is it to be a love extremist? This I believe in the power of linguistics to shift the nature of words. And I do believe that love has lost a lot of its teeth and putting a word like extremist next to love gives it teeth and makes people sit upright and, and pay attention. And also is a provocative and evocative brand. Um, so ultimately that's the theory behind it. And in terms of what it is, it's about taking love seriously in every context. It's about showing up with love as your priority in spaces where it's not necessarily accepted or considered. And it's about challenging the notion that love is always gonna be mushy gushy or romantic or sexual, which it definitely isn't. And thinking more so that love is actually just authentic humanity and being honest about our emotions and our vulnerabilities and the things that we need to survive and thrive. Um, it's, it's incredibly profound. I, I mean, talk to me a little bit, Ethan, about your own journey with love. I mean, you, you, you live in Los Angeles with your new wife, who apparently mm -hmm. you proposed to on Valentine's Day two years ago, <laughs> which is pretty awesome. Happy yeah. upcoming anniversary. I Thank mean, you. what's your own experience with love? I mean, you also, you know, you were diagnosed after you started this Love Extremist Project with brain cancer just a few years ago. So mm -hmm. I, I can imagine that that um, amplifies the importance of these loving connections. Yes, absolutely. So there's a lot of different threads to pull at here. I realized from a young age that every decision I was making was informed by a lack of or a quest for love. 
And largely that was seeking love from women. I've always been heteronormative and attracted to women. Um, and that's something sometimes I uh, bemoan, but, but in general, um, and also love from peers, from you know, acceptance, um, seeing you know, connection to, to peers of all, all stripes. And also from my family, from my parents. My parents grew, I grew up in an incredibly loving environment and I always sought to be understood, to be seen, to be recognized in different ways. And I, I kind of was always on that quest. And I believe we all are in some way, shape or form. We're always looking for acceptance, for connection, for love, even when we lash out with hate, even when we lash out with anger yeah. um, or violence. And so, that recognition came at a young age. And I had been a CEO for about 10 years in Los Angeles. I moved to LA in 2008 to found a custom apparel startup. And that was growing, but it was evolving in a way that I, I wasn't always feeling great about. And 10 years in, I um, had already started this Love Extremist project as kind of a hobby, conversational side hustle thing and was still asking these questions and still seeking love ultimately in my life. Really, it was kind of this intellectual exercise. And when I faced the brain cancer diagnosis in 2017, I suffered a seizure in my sleep. It was a week after inviting um, a partner who was kind of on and off to come live with me. And there was a lot of stress coming up from work, from the partnership, from just everything that was going on. And it, ended up with me in urgent care, uh, getting a CAT scan and finding a tumor in my brain. Two weeks later, I underwent surgery. They took out 20% of the tumor. Two weeks after that, or a few weeks, two weeks after that, the staples came out. I was told I had grade three brain cancer. And then two weeks after that, I was back in LA doing chemotherapy and radiation. And so that massive life shift forced me to understand and prioritize self-love. And it wasn't an intellectual exercise anymore. It was life or death and it was embodied purely fully. And I had a lot of help with that. I had some teachers guiding me through that practice who I carry a lot of their lessons with me. I had massage, I had a complete diet shift um, and, and lifestyle change. I have therapy. I'm incredibly grateful for the resources I was able to access and, and essentially pay for um, with the privilege that I have. And so that led me into a space of understanding self-love and embodying self-love, which ultimately led to a series of quantum leaps in my life, becoming an artist, meeting the love of my life, getting married, um, becoming a facilitator, building out this love extremist project to become a movement that has gained quite a bit of traction through the pandemic and working with some incredible partners. So this has become a purpose far beyond uh, me and also through embodying and understanding self-love, again, that kind of baseline, I've been able to become more effective as an activist and as a partner and finding love in my life. Um, it's so fascinating because you started very simply with the beliefs that shape us about love come from very, very, very young. And then you have, as you say, something that is, is a life or a death choice. Do I love myself enough to fight this, right? In some ways. Mm -hmm. And I guess that's not the question you ask, but in summary, it, it, it ultimately is the baseline as I see it. And then you come forward to like this opportunity to be expansive and truly, you know, 
who inspired love extremists in the first place, the extremist in hate who was, you know, recovered. It feels like a full circle. I mean, as I think about, you know, love and what we can each do to kind of, you know, we don't all hopefully have to face the similar kind of life-threatening experience that you did to come to this realization, but we all go through our things. What would you say are the things that people can be doing on a daily, weekly, monthly life basis to ensure that they're bringing love and living in love? Yeah, that's a great question. I actually believe in some cases through the pandemic, we have all had to face mortality in many ways. And I believe that practice is actually life affirming. In my case, not all of us find that. But for me, checking in with death and our mortality and recognizing the delicacy of life, the gratitude and the honor of having a body and being able to use it and maintain it and support it is a gift. And we only get it for a limited time. And if we're in conscious conversation with that, we have a couple choices as to what we can do. But again, going back to choosing the better story, the better story is to operate from a place of love, in my view. And I have a hard time believing any other argument beyond that, um, but happy to hear from others and would love to discuss it and debate it. Um, but I think that for us, if it's not checking in with our mortality every day, it is finding gratitude, right? Doing a gratitude practice. It is finding stillness and appreciation and moment, mindfulness. It is being able to express that gratitude with vulnerability to others. And it's also, there's a lot of other ingredients. I mean, there's being able to forgive. Um, I'm a firm believer in abolitionist practice. I just picked up Patrice Culler's new book, um, How to Be an Abolitionist or an Abolitionist Handbook. Um, and I'm really excited about reading it because to me, the values of that movement are very much rooted in shifting culture to orient around what accountability and forgiveness looks like, what healthy boundaries look like, which is a self-loving exercise. Um, and also how we can show up with care and compassion for all people. If you think about your family members, you would never want them incarcerated regardless of the evil they may have done. You would want them to be accountable for the evil they've done and then to you know, move forward with a new understanding of how to be a better person and resolve the conflicts that they've created. Absolutely. So if we can approach all humans with that regard, you know, that's another kind of mindset shift and lifestyle shift that I think we can take on. So there's a lot there, intellectual, embodied, you know, spiritual, all of it. I like it. And a lot of that is that are things that uh, as, as esoteric as some of it may be, the mindfulness, the gratitude. I mean, this is stuff that especially through the pandemic has grown in relevance and, and, and become part of the, I think, the cultural zeitgeist of the moment. And we can do this every day to bring love into our lives. Right. As we think about wrapping up, because, you know, it's a short interview um, and it's a, it's a topic as old as time, for sure. Yeah. Um, the topic, of course, is the future of XYZ. So where do you see the, the role of love and the future of love? It's a great question. Um, I am a forever optimist. I believe in the growth of uh, our culture and ourselves. And so the future of love is priority. Ultimately, I believe the future is, sorry, there's a trash truck outside here. Um, the, fu the, the future of love is, is prioritizing love. The future of love is taking it more seriously in our culture, is talking about it. We're already seeing it being spoken about in workplace, 
in how we think about care, whether it be compassionate care in healthcare, but also care for our communities and mutual aid. Love is becoming more of a priority. Marianne Williamson may be on the fringe of the presidential candidates in 2020, but ultimately this conversation is not going anywhere. And our relationships to actionable love and considering it as a force for uh, all of our, our lives, ourselves, our communities, our relationships, um, it's kind of the elephant in the room. And I think it's starting to become more recognized as a force that we need to acknowledge and embrace rather than avoid and disregard. Um, so that's the future and I'm, I'm pushing for it. <laughs> I, I like that. And, and I want to just give an opportunity because I mean, that is the, the optimism is what drew me to you when we met, of course, you know, before I knew any of your story and you were wearing this little pin. Um, and, and so I think you can give an opportunity for people listening and watching to go to loveextremist.com. Um, Extremist.love. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The website's extremist.love. Um, but I think loveextremist.com will get you there as well. So thank you. Um, and the pins were the beginning of the movement. Yeah, I started making those in 2015 and passing them out. And they were the conversation starter. They've gone out to thousands of people. You can buy them on the site and pass them out yourself. You can get a batch of 25 and give them to all your family and friends for the holidays. And it really is a conversation starter. When people see a heart with an extremist on it, they're like, what's going on there? What is this about? Do you love extremists? <laughs> what's he? What? And, and, and that conversation starter is important because it does reprioritize love just in a subtle way. But I, I guarantee you, you put it on your hat, your bag, your jacket, you wear it out in the street, you'll strike up a conversation with someone and they'll ask you about it. And it, it leads to this open source exploration. And that's really the point. Let's start talking about love in places where we don't normally, and let's start thinking about what it means to be a love extremist and putting that into practice. Ethan, thank you so much for joining us on Future of XYZ. It's really a topic that brings joy um, in, every, in every which way. So uh, I, I wish you the best. I wish you health and a very happy Valentine's Day. And um, again, thanks for joining us on Future of XYZ. It's been amazing. Thank you so much, Lisa. And for everyone watching, you know where to find us, YouTube to subscribe to the video. You can also listen on Spotify, Apple, Amazon, or wherever you get your favorite podcasts. And be sure to follow us uh, on Instagram at Future of XYZ and Love Extremist as well. Uh, Ethan, yeah. we'll see you soon. And everyone, happy Valentine's Day. Happy V-Day. Rate, review, subscribe. <laughs>